Our scripture reading today is out of the book of Matthew. Uh, it's be Matthew chapter 20. Uh, stand with me if you're able for the reading of God's word. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And going about about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those, and when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received an denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with my belongings, with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside. And on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom, my, whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indigent of the two brothers. But Jesus called them when he said, called them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as ransom for many. And as they were out of Jericho, a great crowd fell him, followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called to them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Thank you.
Thank you, Mike. I know it's tough having multiple things to be doing on a Sunday morning. That's right. So thank you for all you do for us. Thank you, uh, Wayne, as well, for your help this morning, too. All right. So uh, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs this morning. Um, and uh, we're going to be kind of flipping around, so we'll, we'll talk about that here in just a second. So be in Proverbs, be ready to go. Um, our culture, both in the world and in churches, is currently very confused about manhood. A number of factors play into these concepts uh, and confusion about manhood, but these are a few ideas that people have when they think of manhood. Uh, first, we may think of the super macho, beer-guzzling, sports-loving, bro type of man. Second, we may think of the dominating man who will push all others aside to get his way, whether in business or in the home. He is the king of the castle and must be served at any cost. Third, we may think of the debates which uh, claim that there should be no such thing as manhood per se. The ideal man is the one who is best seen, if that, and not really heard from, or, at, or, at, or only described as a person rather than a gender-specific title. Fourth, we may think of something like the 30-something-year-old whose extended adolescence has found him still sitting in his parents' basement in his boxers playing video games. These contrasting pictures of manhood have been around since the fall in Eden. Since sin entered the world, men are prone to be either domineering or passive. Adam stood by passively while his wife was taken advantage of and then passed the buck to her when God called them to give, give them an account. Part of the curse of sin is now that husbands will want to rule their wives in a harsh and domineering way. See that in Genesis 3.16. That sin nature has been passed down to us, and now it is sometimes celebrated in our culture. So, a question that we must ask ourselves as Christians is, what does it mean to be a real man? The question may appear to be difficult to answer. What, what does it mean to be a real man? Shouldn't we just focus on being godly men? Biblically, those two are the same thing. Being a real man means being the man that God intended you to be both by creation and by redemption. Obviously, we have all fallen short of God's design. Thankfully, one man did not, Jesus Christ. If we want to understand what it means to be a real man, we must look to Jesus. As we have seen, Jesus is the wisdom of Proverbs. Thus, one way we can find out what it means to be the kind of man we are created and redeemed to be is by looking to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a man, a dad, telling another man, his son, how to be a mature man. Since Jesus fulfilled all of what the book of Proverbs teaches, through him, 
we can see what real manhood is and live it out. But before you turn me, tune me out, we need to know this message is not just for men. Children need to hear it because boys need to aspire to be the kind of man, to be this kind of man, and girls need to learn what to look for in a man. Single women need this message because they need to know the kind of man that they should want to marry. Wives need this message because they need to know the kind of man that they need to pray f- that uh, because excuse me because this is who they need to pray for and help their man to become. And yes, husbands and fathers need this message because they need to know what to be and what to model for their girls, how godly men treat women, and for their boys, how they should treat women. Unfortunately, many women have not looked to Scripture to find out what type of man they should uh, seek or what type of man they should pray that their husbands will become. Many boys and girls are told to trust their hearts when it comes to relationships. But Scripture tells us that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. Rather than trust our hearts, the wise child will look to Scripture to find what type of person they ought to be and what type of person they ought to seek in a marriage relationship. Many men lazily just accept whatever cultural norm they have bought into and assume that that they must mimic that persona. Men, you must look to Scripture to find out what type of man you ought to be. You must submit to the picture that God paints and submit to the authority of God in his word as it rebukes you for your sin and false sense of manhood. Our broken culture is proof positive that not being a real man is catastrophic. The percentage of of fatherless homes has led to increasing crime and incarceration. Passive fathers have left a generation of men who have no idea how to be a man. Domineering fathers have left a generation of men who treat women the way that they were treated. Not pursuing biblical manhood can and will destroy your marriage, your family, your career, and your reputation. Following God's blueprint for biblical manhood will bring you the joy God has planned for you. God tells you how the world works because he loves you and wants the best for you. So, what is a real man, according to the book of Proverbs? Now, as I mentioned, we'll be jumping around a lot this morning. So, if at this point you feel like you need to exercise your fingers a little bit, you know, do some finger exercises or something, now may be the opportune time. From the book of Proverbs this morning, we will see first that a real man loves Jesus. Second, we will see that a real man loves and leads his wife. Third, we will see that a real man loves and leads his children. And fourth, we will see that a real man loves discipline. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Holy Father, once again, we seek your faith. We pray that your word would be clear in what it means to be a man according to Scripture. 
What does biblical manhood look like and how does that relate to family life? Lord, I pray that women and children in this congregation today would understand that this applies to them as well. That wives would begin to pray for their husbands. That they would begin to be a godly biblical man. That Lord, daughters would pray this for their fathers that daughters would pray this for themselves as they look to the day that they may be married, that, Lord, that they would look for a man that would be reflecting your word. Lord, that young men and boys and sons would look to your word to see what kind of man they ought to be. And, Lord, that we men would learn how to how to fulfill this portrait and how to be the kind of man you've called us to be. Pray will you would help us to submit to your word during this time. In your name, amen. The first thing we'll see today is that a real man loves Jesus. A real man loves Jesus. Now this first point runs the risk of alienating many men. What, guys, what guy wants to hear that he needs to love another guy? In some ways, this is actually a problem for Christianity, especially a young, among young adult men and even men older. Uh, many churches present a mushy and sappy sentimentality that turns guys away. In fact, the statistics would show that women and children are much more likely to attend church. Why is this? You could probably look around our own sanctuary on most Sundays and see this same trend. Uh, Many men think that the church has been feminized or that it is only suited for women and children. Oftentimes, our music can play into this concept with lyrics that are singing to Jesus like a girl would sing to her boyfriend. Lyrics like, I want to touch you, do not resonate with most men. Even old hymns, like In the Garden, which are great songs. Uh, But what guy would normally sing about going to a garden alone with their buddy? Put your buddy's name in the song for a second. One of my best friends' name is Alex, so I'll put his name in there. Think of of this song then and put, put this name in here. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses, and the voice I hear falling on my ear my buddy Alex discloses. And Alex walks with me, and Alex talks with me, and Alex tells me I'm his own. And the joy Alex and I share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Alex speaks, and the sound of his voice is so sweet, the birds hush their singing, and so on. It's kind of creepy that way, isn't it? On the other hand, We do need to recover masculine love where men have deep relationships with one another. When we say that real men love Jesus, what we mean is that Jesus was a real man who laid down his life for us and we need to honor him and follow him. So what does this look like in Proverbs? It looks like loving the word of God and it looks like confession of sin. Loving Jesus looks like loving the word of God. Turn to Proverbs 13 and verse 13. 
Proverbs 13, 13. It says, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Men, do you revere the word of God? Do you read it on your own, not just in church? Do you study it? Listen attentively in the corporate gatherings and engage in Bible study? Not only does loving Jesus look like loving the word of God, but loving Jesus also looks like confession of sin. Turn to the end of Proverbs, to Proverbs 28 and verse 13. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. You love Jesus by confessing your sin, repenting of it. That means to turn away from it and to trust in the gospel. Love of Jesus also looks like trust in the Lord in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. As we've seen throughout the book of Proverbs, wisdom is a person, Jesus Christ. So you need to be in a relationship with him by faith. He will make you wise in daily life. You cannot be a real man without loving Jesus. Second, we see that a real man loves and leads his wife. I saw a funny video recently where the caption read, what men are really thinking. The video was set up as a, as a mock news story where they're interviewing a couple whose romantic weekend was ended when the girl asked her man, what are you thinking right now? The girl was incredibly upset by his answer. She explained how she expected some super romantic answer about how he wanted to bring their kids there someday. Or maybe, maybe that he would be th sitting there thinking, I have all I need right now. The newscaster asked him, so what did you say? He said, I said, pigs are much bigger than you expect. <laughs> we had just seen some pigs. One of them was so big you could ride it. <sighs> well, it's certainly true that men think very differently than women. The culture seems to be interested in driving home this narrative that men have no idea when it comes to marriage relationships. However, Scripture gives some important instructions for marriage for men. Instruction that if followed will lead to happy and full marriages for both the husband and his wife. Ephesians 5 instructs men to love their wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. In one sense, then, men are called to play a role uh, much like Christ plays for the church. Men are to play the role of Christ in the life of his wife, not a salvific role, not to save her. A husband can never save his wife, spiritually speaking, but a husband does have a responsibility in discipleship toward his wife. We are called to sacrificially love and lead our, our wives. 
In Proverbs, one of the main ways this is laid out in the, is in the area of keeping your covenant commitment to your spouse. Your vows are promises, and real men keep their word. Solomon repeatedly warns his son about the danger of unfaithfulness. We walk through chapters 2, 5, 6, and 7, which clearly demonstrate this very idea. Truly being faithful to your covenant commitment means that you are faithful both outwardly and inwardly. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5 that even lust is a betrayal of that commitment. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23, verses 26 and 28. 26 through 28, excuse me. Proverbs 23, beginning in verse 26, says this, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit. An adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. In this passage, we see that lust leads men to be traitors to their wives. As we've already seen elsewhere in Proverbs, especially chapters 5 through 7, there are two main ways that you can be pulled away. Communication and attraction. Real men are not the flirty guy because that is dangerous. Real men do not have things like work wives that they flirt with in the office. That is stupid and ridiculous. Real men do not wonder about their old high school girlfriends and then message her on Facebook. Real men guard their communication with the opposite sex. Also, real men do not watch shows, movies, or things on the internet that will cause their heart to lust for a woman who is not their wife. Real men also do not give unfettered access to a smartphone to their pubescent son, which basically trains them in being turned on by pornography. Stay in your teenager's business and do not give them privacy when it comes to their phone because it's really not theirs even if your son says i will pay for the phone you should reply until you pay for the house you're using it in you don't get privacy pornography destroys marriages because it warps our minds it makes a man view sex in a selfish way and the opposite sex is seen as an object it teaches selfishness when marriage, is about, when marriage is supposed to be about selflessness. This is true both before and during marriage. Be vigilant to view the opposite sex the way God wants you to view them and fight for purity of mind. Guard your heart from unfaithfulness by watching out for communication and attraction that might pull your heart away. Heed the warning. Also employ the positive strategy laid out by Proverbs, as we see in those, in, if you were to read 5, 6, and 7, you'd see this, that, that you must have a strong relationship with God's wisdom, that is, Jesus Christ. And also, you should have a strong offense in your marriage relationship through healthy sexuality within a biblical marriage. Men, romance your wife. Be intimate with her. 
be her best friend because real men love their wives. So real men love Jesus. Real men love and lead their children. And third this morning, we see that a real man loves and leads his children. A common perception in our culture is that real men leave the children to the mom. Men are often displayed as struggling to change dirty diapers or passively responding, go ask your mother to any request from their child while dad is sitting in front of the television watching news or some kind of sporting event. However, scripture commands dads to take an active role in raising their children. Deuteronomy 6 commands dads to take an active role in raising, um, Deuteronomy 6 commands dads to be the primary person leading their children to love the Lord and obey his commandments. In a very real way, scripture commands every dad to be the pastor of his own home, just as the pastor is the shepherd of the church. It is not mom's responsibility only to actively lead the family, but that is dad's God-given responsibility. Real men love their children and show them, show that love by teaching them. Teach them the Bible. Teach them right from wrong. And then teach them everyday wisdom as well. Teach them how to throw a baseball, how to drive a car, how to do a job interview, how to tie a tie, and a hundred other things. Real men also love their children by disciplining them and attempting to rescue them from hell. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 24 is our next passage. Turn to Proverbs chapter 13 with me. We'll look at verse 24. Proverbs 13, verse 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. A real man does not abdicate his role here and become passive like Adam. Too many men do. You need to lovingly correct your children so that they know the right path. Real men love their children by working hard for their family. Real men are not lazy. I heard of a pastor who would drive his daughters down to the poorest areas of town and say, if you marry a lazy bum with no work ethic, you will live here. Well, that may seem like a strange strategy. Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.8 that men who do not uh, who do not provide for their families are worse than unbelievers. Look at Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 11. Proverbs 12 verse 11 says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. This proverb teaches that if you work hard, you will be able to provide enough for your family. Now let's look at Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. Proverbs 13, 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Through a good work ethic and the wise handling of money, a real man can leave an inheritance for his children. So a real man loves Jesus. A real man loves and leads his wife. A real man loves and leads his children. And fourth, a real man loves discipline. 
One of the main teachings of Proverbs is that real men know how to control their appetites for sex, money, power, status, food, and alcohol. A real man is self-controlled. Proverbs 25, 28 says, A person who does not control his temper is like a city whose wall is broken down. A city like that, with broken down walls, is vulnerable to any kind of attack. The devil loves to prey on men who are weak like this. He has destroyed many men through their appetites. In contrast, the spirit of Jesus produces self-control in your life, as is found in the fruits of the spirit in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. In Proverbs, we see five ways that men have discipline. First, real men are disciplined when it comes to pride. They know how to be humble because God gives grace to the humble in Proverbs 3, 34. Men have an appetite, according to Proverbs, to always be right in their own eyes. Men are often headstrong. The prideful, uh, the prideful food is, uh, the prideful fool, excuse me, is, is right in his own eyes and will not listen to what other people have to say in Proverbs 12, 15. The antidote, according to Proverbs, is to trust the Lord and receive wise counsel from the Lord and from others. Second, real men discipline their mouths because a babbling fool will come to ruin in, in chapter 10, verse 8. Turn to Proverbs 21, 23. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23. says, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. What does it look like to guard your mouth and your, to guard your tongue? Well, Proverbs 27.2 tells us not to be a bragger. Proverbs 26.28 tells us not to be dishonest. And Proverbs 20 verse 19 tells us not to break confidence. Third, we see that real men control their desire for money. Real men control their desire for money. They are content, as we saw last week, according to Proverbs 38 and 9. They are honest workers who earn their money the right way. We see that in 11, 1, 16, 11, uh, 20, verse 10, and, 23, and verse 23, and 22, verse 16. They are generous to the poor in fourteen twenty one, And they have an eternal perspective, knowing that money and things are temporary and do not last forever. Fourth, men are able to control, a real man controls his temper. They are not harsh or quarrelsome. Certainly, manliness is not cowardice, but it's not harshness either. Biblical manhood is tough enough to be patient and forgiving. Turn to Proverbs 16, verse 32. Proverbs 16, verse 32. It says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. The man that holds his temper in this verse is highly commended. A real man is slow to anger with his children, 
with his wife, with his neighbors, with his coworkers, and even in traffic. A real man is also not quarrelsome. He does not love to argue and stir things up. He is gentle with his words, especially toward his wife and children. Men need to be paradoxical in some way here. Don't be a sissy, right? You don't want to, you need to be able to rebuke men when it is necessary. But also, you need to be able to love your, and lead your wife and children gently. Real men can rebuke when they need to. Stand their ground, not be tossed around by others' opinions, and not easily be led astray. They can also cool tension, lower the temperature in a heated situation, and be kind. Jesus is a great example of this. He could drive out money changers with a whip, as well as put children who just had to see him, sit them on his lap and treat them well. Fifth, we see that real men are not controlled by what others think about them. Turn to Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 25. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says this, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Real men care more about what God thinks about them than what others do. Peer pressure can cause stupid men to do stupid things, but real men are not controlled by it. They do not follow the crowd. Instead, they follow Jesus. So the five things we've seen is that real men love Jesus, or four things we've seen. Real men love Jesus. Real men love and lead their wives. Real men love and lead their children. Real men love discipline. A small article, a blog article titled, A Daughter Needs a Dad, sums up what a real man does really well. It captures this message in a list form. A daughter needs a dad for many reasons. Number one, according to this article, a daughter needs a dad to show her that true love is unconditional, just like Jesus' love for us is. Number two, a daughter needs a dad to teach, her val- to teach her that her value as a person is more than, what, than the way she looks. A daughter needs a dad because, number three, to teach her that family is more important than work. Number four, a daughter needs a dad to show her that a man can be trustworthy. Number five, a daughter needs a dad to be the safe spot she can always turn to. Number six, a daughter needs a dad to teach her that a man's strength is not the force of his hands or his voice, but the kindness of his heart. Number seven, a daughter needs a dad to be the standard against which she will judge all men. Number eight, a daughter needs a dad to help her, raise, to help her take risks that will build her confidence. Number nine, a daughter needs a dad to hold her when she cries. And number 10, a daughter needs a dad to teach her that she is important by stopping what he is doing to watch her. So men, run to Jesus, submit to him. And this is the kind of man he will help you to become. 
And women, don't beat up your men over this. Pray for them and play your role because only Jesus can change your man. So as we've looked at this picture of biblical manhood, my prayer for you and and what I believe Proverbs 30 is teaching us This is not what the culture tells us. Scripture must drive home for us what it means to be a man. Men, we must love Jesus first and foremost. We must love his word. We must go to his word and study his word. And we must be obedient to him and follow him and repent of sin. Men, we must love and lead our wives We must love and lead our wives. We must love and lead our children. We need to take an active role when it comes to raising our children. And men, we must love discipline. We can't just say we've got it all taken care of. We've got it on our own. We need to be under discipline from the Lord and from his word and have discipline when it comes to our appetites for sexuality, for, for money, for, uh, for whatever, these, whatever it is that, that, we, we, uh, that are in the book of Proverbs, these different areas of wisdom that we're told about. As we move into our time of invitation, if there's an area in your life, if there's some area where you say that maybe you're not men, if you're not uh, being a godly man in these areas. This is an opportunity to come to the Lord in prayer. You can use uh, these steps if you'd like to as an altar to the Lord. You can sit in your own seat right there. Whatever you want to do, however you need to deal with that with the Lord. Women, both girls and, and, and married women, are you praying that God will bring you the kind of man that is a biblical man? Are you praying that your husband will become a godly biblical man? man. Young men, boys, are you seeking to be this kind of man? Are you seeking to be the kind of man that God would have you to be so that you are the type of godly man who can marry one of his daughters? If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, That's the first step to being a godly man or to being a person seeking after the Lord, whatever your gender. Use this time as an invitation to come and talk to me. I would love to talk with you and let you know how you can know for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you're looking for a church and you want to be a part of a church that's going to share God's word, even hard truths. We would love for you to join to, to, to let us know that you'd be willing to join the church. Come and talk to me either during the invitation or after the service. We'd love to talk to you about that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for your word and your teaching on biblical manhood. Lord, your bar is far higher than we want it to be but Lord, it is a worthy calling. I pray that you would raise up in this church a group of men who love you, who love and lead their wives, who love and lead their children, and who love discipline, who love to be disciplined 
and to walk according to the wisdom of Proverbs. Lord, I pray you would help us to submit to your word. Lord, if there's areas of sin in our lives that we need to repent to you, I pray that you would help us to respond in repentance. Lord, if there is any, anything else that you are leading in our hearts, whether it be salvation or joining the church and committing together to, to pursue the gospel, I pray that you would help us to understand that and to know that and to respond according to the leading of your Holy Spirit. In your name, amen.